I mean, weren't they great? Wasn't that awesome? Yeah. So choir, Pastor Greg, or their team up up top there and in back, thank you again for all you do. And, and that's not something you just kind of hit the autopilot and it works, right? It, it takes time. And so, uh, in fact, you all feel that right now. I mean, Christmas is just uh, less than a week or almost a week away, right? Next Monday. And so does everyone have everything ready? Okay, thank you. I don't feel so bad. I don't feel so bad. And it takes time and it takes effort, doesn't it? Uh, we definitely do live in a world, though, where a lot of things happen automatically. And uh, we live in this world of automation. I remember years ago, uh, my dad has worked in manufacturing his whole life. And, and I went to visit one of his uh, manufacturing plants. And, and there's robots everywhere. And some of you work in manufacturing. And, and I can tell you, even over the last 20 years, as I continue to see how technology has advanced, it's a little scary sometimes. And, um, but we do. We live in this world of, of, of artificial intelligence. You have cars that are starting to drive themselves and robots. And, and um, autopilot, though, on planes is probably what scares me the most, if I'm being honest. And uh, I heard some news recently that terrified me, and I thought, it's only fair I share it with you. <laughs> so, you know, we've known that autopilot exists in planes. Uh, what I learned recently is that uh, a pilots, you know, they'll get the plane going, they'll get it on the runway, they'll taxi it out, and then they get going... And then at 100 feet, they have the capability at 100 feet in the air of engaging autopilot. And that plane will fly itself through the turbulence. Anyone fear fly, flying? I'm sorry. Um, it'll fly itself. And then even for regular maintenance purposes, that plane has to land itself as well. And I thought, oh my, that is so scary. And so every flight I'm on, I'm like, is this a self-flying plane today or, or what are we doing? And, and so um, we, we certainly, you know, we like the idea of automation. Um, there's McDonald's right now, Taco Bell. They are built to have concept stores uh, down in Texas and up in Minneapolis where they're working on fully automated restaurants. And uh, you just order from an app or you touch a screen and, and the food will shoot out to you and drive through kind of like, uh, like the, 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 uh, the bank where they just kind of shoot those you know, food at you and food, the money at you. And, and so uh, they're working on all of these different technologies to try to make our lives simpler. And sometimes it does. And we d eventually get comfortable and familiar with autopilot and with automation in our lives, don't we? That we kind of, we get familiar with what's going on or what we used to knew, uh, used to know. Uh, many of you in this room remember when self-checkout wasn't a thing, right? And, and so all of a sudden you see one self-checkout and like, what is that? That's so strange. And now there's so many, I feel like they're asking for a tip even when I self-checkout. Like, like, do I get a tip myself? Do I get a discount? You know, and you hear those questions, oh, do I, where's my paycheck, right? Next thing you know, we'll be uh, get asked to unload the truck so we can go buy something. So it's like we live in that world where eventually we get familiar, and now if there's not a self-checkout, I'm like, I really have to wait in line? Does anybody else have that, that, that swap in their mind? At first, I didn't like it, and now I'm like, it's down. This is so troublesome. So, like, that, that's what happens. Uh, we've been going through God's Word together all year. In fact, we have like just a couple weeks left. And uh, we've been going through Genesis all the way through Revelation. And, and what does it mean to truly be a follower of Christ? What is God's uh, big story and, and how Jesus is, is the focal point of it all? 
and how the old leads us to Christ and the new explains who he is. And in the gospels, we see his life and his death, his burial and his resurrection. And today we're going to be looking at 1 Peter. So if you have your Bibles or your app, I want you to open up with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, many of you know Peter's story. He was one of the, the first uh, disciples called by Jesus. Uh, his brother Andrew just kind of introduced him to Jesus. And, and this is when Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Real catchy because he was a fisherman. He's like, oh, I understand that. And, and Peter became a, a confidant of, of Jesus, one of the core three of Jesus' closest disciples. There was uh, John John's brother, James, the brothers Zebedee. I, I like to say that as many times as I can. It's a fun word. And then you had Peter. Peter knew Jesus intimately. He was with him in these incredible moments of the, grand, of the transfiguration. He was with him in, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, he was told to pray. I mean, they kept falling asleep. But he was still, like, welcomed, right? Even in those, those last moments of Jesus' life on earth. Yet Peter denied him the night he was betrayed, and, and he had to wrestle with that, and he settled that, and, and now Peter has be, become an incredible evangelist and a preacher and a teacher, and he's going out into the world, and, and when he writes this letter, it's toward the end of his life, and he's credited with two letters here in the New Testament, first and second Peter, and, and he's writing to, to all of these, these Christians who proclaim to have faith in Jesus, and he's seeing them go back to the familiar. He's seeing them turn away from this new life and going back to their old life because it was comfortable. It didn't challenge anyone around them. And we see that even in the world we live in today. So he's writing to these Jewish Christians and saying, what's before you is far greater than the world behind you. See, Jesus has changed everything. Your patterns of behavior, the way that you worship, all these things are new. You have new rhythms and new expectations, and let's not get drawn back to our old life. Next week, we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Two services in here at 9, at 1030, 11 o'clock in our chapel. It's kind of our heritage service. It's a little bit different. We'll sing some carols and hymns and readings and something we've been doing at Park Chapel for well over 30 years. And today, we're going to look at the impact of that life lift. And what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And how we guard our hearts from going back to the things that are so familiar. We pray with me? God, we thank you for today, for your goodness and your grace, your mercy, your wonder, and all of who you are. We just ask your, your blessing upon this time in your word, and we love you. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. In 1 Peter chapter 13, he writes this. He says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all of your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living in your own, or to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now, you must be holy in everything that you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. 
And while we we continue uh, to live, if you profess to be a follower of Christ, to, to be a Christian in a world that's full of automation, in workplaces, in a world as we get wrapped in our own rhythms and familiarity and where we find comfort, we have to understand, though, that in the Christian life, that Christian autopilot does not exist. We don't just hit the button, get going, and just hope everything works out. And Peter sees this, and, and he's giving this clarity and this, even this teaching and encouragement to all those who are listening. That it's not a matter of just showing up. It's not a matter of just kind of going through the, these, these rhythms and give a little here and help a little there. No, he says, living in a Christian life, is, it's a cognitively submissive decision and all the way through. It's cognitive because it requires a renewing of our mind. There's decisions to be made. You have this free will to, to, to obey God or not to obey God, to bring glory to God or not bring glory to God. But it's submissive because in all things and every decision we make, we weigh it against the word of God. They go, well, I have a choice here. I want to do something that's going to bring glory to you, to magnify your name, to, to let other people see you living through me. So Peter, he gives us three steps. Three steps of what does it mean to, to live this Christian life? Essentially, he says, listen, you need to remove obstacles. You have to remove those obstacles. In verse 13, he says, right there, he says, prepare your minds for action. Practice self-control. Maybe your translation says, gird up your loins. You ever heard this phrase? To gird up your loins. It's an oriental saying for a group of people who would be familiar with it. During this time where, where they would wear long garments, loose clothing, because it was better for them. It, was, it, it would keep you cool. It would regulate your body temperature. I was uh, in South uh, um, Asia back in March, and it was one of those, I don't understand why they do this. It was 95 degrees, but felt like 110. Like, isn't it just 110? <laughs> This is what it feels like, but, uh, you know, we were more comfortable in that weather wearing long, loose pants and long sleeve shirts that had a little bit of movement in them because it helped regulate who we were. And so culturally, this is what was happening. They're wearing these, these loose garments. He says, gird up your loins. So any time that someone was about to go on a journey or when they're about to go into war or to go into battle, they had to take all that loose clothing, bring it close to their body, tie it up, and essentially they're removing those obstacles. They're removing those entanglements, those things that may impede their future progress. This is that age-old debate. When you talk about superheroes, should they have a cape or not have a cape? You guys heard this debate? And maybe you're familiar with it with the famous designer Edna Mode. Um, yeah, you know Edna. <laughs> She had a very strong opinion. Her opinion is no capes, right? And, and there's a list here of Dinah Guy, Thunderhead, Meta Man, Straggle Gal, uh, Splashdown, and Syndrome, all these superheroes from The Incredibles who died because their capes got caught in something. I did the math. I, I checked. See, a lot of times in our lives we have these entanglements, these obstacles that keep us from making the progress in which God has called us to. And these entanglements, they keep us from being God who desires you to be. And for all of us, this, this may look a little bit different. For some, it's anger. For some, that entanglement, it's lust or others' addiction. And there's greed and there's lack of understanding, a lack of motivation. And Peter says, listen, like, if you're going to do this Christian life, you've got to remove those obstacles. 
You got to gird up those loins, get rid of those entanglements in your life and focus on the things that you need to focus on to move forward. And when we remove those obstacles, we're readying our heart for God's desires, for God's plan, for God's will in your life. Because part of this Christian life, it's about removing the things that get in the way of your relationship with Jesus. Sometimes that's people or the workplace, where you go to school, where you live, or the community. Sometimes it's not as drastic as that. Maybe it's you got to play less video games, golf a little bit less, get off the phone and spend more time in the Word of God, spend time talking to God. So he says, like, remove those obstacles, right, ready your, your heart. And then he, he says, once you do that, you got to clear your mind. He says, be sober. And he uses this word particularly, be sober. We find it six times in all the New Testament, but three of those six, it's in this letter. And he's not talking about sobriety like we would think about with alcohol or intoxication. He's using it figuratively to say, do not be intoxicated mentally or spiritually. The things that that, that give you a cloudy understanding of the reality of who God is. But instead, be self-controlled to show calmness, to be well-balanced and clear-headed, be possessed, right? Be by the Holy Spirit. It's part of the, that submissiveness to who you are as a follower of Jesus. Put away those passions or those overindulgences, gluttony and harshness. All those entanglements, they're going to slow you down on this journey and this marathon of this life in Christ. So live with gratitude. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Instead of chasing after that, that one gift this season or obsessing over where you got everything on your wish list. I don't know if you struggle with that with your kiddos. Did I get this? Did I get that? Instead, we focus on the free gift we have in Christ. And that's what this season brings us into, is remembrance of the life we have in Jesus. So Peter, he says, listen, as you do those things, as you, as you begin to, to eliminate and remove those obstacles, as you clear uh, your mind, he says, what you got to do, he says, put all your hope in this gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So we remove those obstacles, we, we, we uh, clear our minds, and we joyfully wait for Jesus. You can see right here, he's not talking about the birth of Christ. Chronologically, that's already happened. And the same is true for us. We're going to celebrate the birth of Christ next week and his humility and how he gave up his deity so that he may be who we need him to be. But in this moment, he says, Jesus is coming again. And that's the hope that we cling to as believers, as followers of Christ that my perspective ought to change because the story isn't finished yet. Like, he's still coming back. So we wait with expectation. And we wait with joy and with expectancy. So we have to turn off that autopilot. We begin to live this way in pursuit of God's plan for our lives. And when we do that, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be strange it's going to be different because it's new. And while you may be allured to the familiar and to what you're used to in the old way of life, Peter says, no, you got to embrace being different. 
It's okay to be different. Verse 16, be holy as I am holy. Holy here means to be set apart. Like to, to, to actually look different, sound different, act different, be set apart. A couple of weeks ago, I had to put a new uh, breaker in, into um, uh, our home to run a new line. And, and, uh, and so I remember backing out the control panel and there were six screws on this control panel, but they had a different head on the screw. It wasn't your typical flat head. It wasn't your typical Phillips head. It had a different bit. Now, if you're like me, you got piles of screws all over your garage. You got a drawer full of screws that you don't know where they came from. You've disassembled things and you landed with extra screws. Like, I don't know how it's still working or how it's still standing. Like, you just accumulate these things. But I thought, man, this is my control panel. I got to be very careful. So I backed out those six screws and I set them to the side. I set them apart from everything else so they wouldn't get lost and they wouldn't get confused with the chaos that is my garage. And that's what it means to be holy. That in your life as a follower of Christ, you're pursuing him when the rest of the world is pursuing themselves. That you look different and you sound different and you act different and you make decisions differently so that you don't get confused with the world who doesn't know him. And you don't look like the world that doesn't know him. So we're called to set apart. See, being holy, it means that we look different, act different, sound different, but it does not mean that we ignore those who don't know him. We have to be very clear, especially in this season of life, because in Romans, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing that of the word. Like the world who doesn't know Jesus needs to hear about Jesus. And only the ones who know Jesus can tell people about Jesus. So we live in that that beautiful tension that Jesus prays for his disciples to be people who are in the world but not of the world. To acknowledge that there is chaos and confusion around us but we're set apart from that. That we're a little bit different than that. And he says right here in verse 14, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then but now you must be holy in everything. So what does it mean to embrace being different? And for these early believers, it's very similar to the world we live in now. For them, it looked like worship because worship became less formal and more relational. Access to God had changed. In Matthew, it tells us that when Jesus had given up his life, it says that the veil of the tabernacle was torn in two. And that was a major symbolic uh, teaching that our access to God has been changed. I no longer have to go through a priest or another person to give my offerings and my sacrifice to God, but I can get directly communicate to him through Jesus Christ. Worship changed. Accessibility to God has changed. It looks like study and being in his word. One of the things I love about Paul's story, and we oftentimes miss this, is that when Paul had this incredible transformation on the road uh, to Damascus, before he went to Jerusalem, before he went to proclaim uh, the goodness of God, he actually went to Arabia and began to study for three years that the scriptures were true. We have to be in God's word and understand the mystery of who God is. Augustine made this quote famous when he says, in the Old Testament, the new was reconciled. And in the new, the old is revealed. 
that as a follower of Christ, the totality of God's word all comes together. That in the Old Testament, it begins to talk about Jesus, and then we see Jesus here in the New Testament, and it makes the Old Testament come to life. That it's not one or the other, but it's an all being of the word of God. So we embrace the wholeness of who God is. And we get to share Jesus as the Messiah, because Peter says, even chapter three, he says, listen, when you begin to live this way, people go, whoa, what's up with you? You're different. Like, yeah, I'm embracing it. I love the awkward. Anybody else love the awkward? He says, so be ready to give a defense. Share Jesus. And he says, you know what? Don't participate in that old way of life. Don't go back to the way of religion or cultural celebrations. He says, no, you fully focus your hearts and minds on God's newness. As we move faithfully, collectively forward in the hope of salvation we have, because you know what? Jesus is coming again. So don't be a lord to the familiar. So we celebrate the birth of Jesus. We live with joy, though, as we look forward to him coming again. So my question for you this morning is, as you consider your own relationship with him, do you find yourself on autopilot? That there was at some point where everything just became familiar, and you're just kind of coasting along, not really sure where you're going to land. Or maybe you took the controls, said, I got this. And now you find yourself in a tailspin, crashing nose first into the ground. Or maybe you never even considered the hope of Christ in your life. You see, this morning as we take of these elements, we remember the bread symbolically showing us Jesus' body broken for us. And the drink, his blood spilled out for us that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And in this new life, things will be different. So embrace it and turn from the old. And don't just get comfortable. Don't think you're just going to coast. But keep him and his will and his word before your eyes at all times. And in this season, above all, let your hope in Christ be seen let it be heard and share it with those around you. And I've said this for the last several weeks. It is such low-hanging fruit, my friends. Because everything and every song you hear on the radio and, and the things we see and gives us a reason to point people to Jesus. Why is there a star on the top of the tree? Let me tell you about the star of Bethlehem who led others to Jesus. When we sing these carols and these songs, and let me explain to you what does it mean on a silent night? Or why is it truly joy to the world that Jesus Christ has come? So let us live in a way that chases after him. Let's not rest in the familiar of the old, but embrace the newness of life we have in Christ. Truly live in the celebration in the season of hope. We want someone to pray with you or pray for you. We would love to open up God's word and answer questions you may have. And if you need to pray right where you are, I want to pray for you and give you time to spend with him. To say, Lord, where am I? Have I engaged autopilot? Or am I fearlessly, obediently, submissively living after you? When I'm done praying, you take that time, we'll continue to worship.
Lord God, we thank you again for today. We thank you for your goodness, your holiness, and even the challenge before us to set ourselves apart from a world so we don't be confused with the world or look like the world, but that we look more like you each and every day. We thank you for the forgiveness we have in your son and the sacrifice he made as we take of these elements, continue to draw us close to you so we may know you more. It's your son's name we pray. Amen.